Hello good people of Europe. So today I'm interviewing Michael from Playing With Fire and we're gonna dive into a few pretty awesome topics. So to kind of like get started that Michael is originally from New Zealand, moved to Ireland, living there happily uh, with his three kids and wife. And Michael is a freelance web developer and has a pretty interesting take on life. His approach to, you know, trying to enjoy the journey as much as possible uh, to actually get towards financial independence instead of just, you know, focusing on the grind, complaining, etc. And, you know, trying to make the journey as enjoyable as possible. And the ways he goes through that the thought process is comparing certain choices. What he has done to kind of like build his own most perfect version of that by going part-time uh, in terms of work, building side hustles, focusing on cash flow so that can potentially fund his lifestyle. That combination and on top of that a really interesting discussion actually in terms of you know how it is to get kids and financial independence and everything that comes with it and planning um, that out kind of like you know the feelings uh, that, that come with it and you know where you go through in that whole process and what you take in consideration anyway i hope this episode will offer some value and anyway sit back relax and enjoy the show welcome to the financial independence europe podcast where we interview people from all 44 european countries all of them about optimizing your life geo arbitrage and making the most of your money this was your hosts alvar Arminta, and matthias Hello everybody, welcome back again to another podcast episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. So today we're actually going to do something pretty awesome. We've got our first true Irish guest on here. Um, he's Irish, well not Irish, living in Ireland, from New Zealand, having a podcast at the same time. Uh, managed to save uh, 40,000 euro in 2018, on track to do the same again in 2019. Uh, Michael, welcome uh, to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Elva. Awesome. So, Michael, just to get started, can you introduce yourself like to the listeners, give them like a rough breakdown of, you know, where you're about, um, how you came in touch with financial independence and, you know, kind of like a little bit of your origin story? Sure. So I'm originally from New Zealand and I moved to Ireland in the heart of the recession in 2011. Uh, when I came to Ireland, it was a very, very much a poverty stricken place. Uh, the city that I live in, which is Limerick City, had unemployment of around 25%. Uh, prices were rapidly declining. And of course, the housing market was collapsing under its own feet. So that was quite interesting. Uh, and so I moved here. I actually had a son a few months later, which was which was exciting as well. So I'm now a family man. I've got three young boys, which is uh, <laughs> keeps me fairly busy. Uh, and I've always been a freelance web developer. So that's always been my kind of passion, I guess. I knew from the age of 16 that I didn't want to have a, have a normal job per se. And at the age of 17, I realized I wanted to work from home. And this was back in sort of the early 2000s. So it was very uncommon back then to work from home. And uh, I didn't know how I was going to make it happen, but I did. And that was really exciting. And I think as you get better at your craft, I've been able to increase my hourly rate. And um, that's really allowed me to have this extra income. And it was sort of around 2017 where I discovered discovered Fi and thought, look, let's have a look and to see what's going on. And I think one of the the biggest things, and this is probably a European uh, problem as much as more than anything, is that with such high tax rates in Europe, when you hit certain pers uh, personal income levels, it just makes sense to keep money in a company. And so that's what I did. And Ireland's very unique in the sense of it has a 12.5% company tax rate, whereas the personal tax rates hit 50% very, very quickly. So I uh, ended up leaving the money in the company and then had this decision of what to do with it. And that's, that's where the investing side kind of kicked in then. Nice one. And would you also be happy to share some numbers? Because I already mentioned earlier that you saved 40,000 or added 40,000 to your portfolio 2018 and on track to do the same in 2019. 
but would you be happy to share some income levels and kind of like, okay, you know, you're keeping the money within the company and where are mm -hmm. you actually investigating? What are the vehicles you're using to get to FI? Yeah, sure. So uh, at the moment, I have an investment portfolio of about 65,000. Uh, it's growing about 3,000 euros per month. Typically, uh, largely within the company, we do have some personal investments as well. But it's a, when you've got three kids, it's a lot harder to keep money aside uh, when it's after-tax income. So we typically keep it within the company. Uh, we have a pension as well, but we don't tap into that too too hard at this stage. And the, the actual portfolio distribution, uh, there's about 30% in peer-to-peer lending, uh, about 5% in equities. I also do uh, a little bit of managed Forex trading. So I've got an Irish trader that I use. Uh, he's been trading for four years. He's got about two million under his belt. So uh, I'm fairly, fairly comfortable trading with him. Again, that's a very high risk investment, but uh, I'm fairly comfortable with, comfortable with it. And then a lot of my income as well is just in scalable businesses that I set up. So in September last year, I actually got myself to a point where I was able to cut down my freelance work to part time. And that was fairly liberate, liberating in, sense, in the sense of it gave me all of this free time. And I was able to kind of look at some scalable businesses and start setting up uh, various businesses there. So some of my capital is within that. Um, an example of that is I have a, a, my own Forex trading company. So I do a little bit of Forex trading on the side. Uh, I'm still very, <laughs> very young at that in terms of the learning I need to do, but I'm enjoying the experience so far. Uh, I set up a, ho a hockey coaching business. So I'm actually able to coach my kids a couple of times a week and get paid for it at the same time. So that's uh, a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, just, just making passive websites and actually trying to make my own websites. Um, I sort of feel like as a freelancer, sometimes you're so busy making other people's money. Uh, so you're so, pe you're so busy you know, kind of making other people's dreams come true that you actually forget that you can do it yourself and, uh, and build your own websites. Man, nice one. I like your portfolio. It's really unusual in kind of like the setup and 5% equities. Most people in the fire community would like shout around and like, you know, why do you only have 5% in um, equities and go so risky? Um, but well, I like changing things up and getting a bit of diversification in there. You know, you have to take risk in the end to get to certain goals in the end. Um, the actual hockey business, how does that work? Like you hire yourself out as a coach or... Yeah, and I also use other coaches as well, and um, I managed to get into a couple of schools, so I can kind of do coaching after school, which is great. But the real big wins from that is is running the hockey coaching camps. So you basically um, you'd run an, a one day camp during the school holidays, and you might get sixty kids turn up for that. Um, so that's been it's you know what it's not something that's gonna you know that, that's not gonna make me rich by any stretch, but it's a lot of fun, and that's why I kind of started that. And I, I've actually since launched a hockey club since. Uh, again, that's not something that I make money for, but it's a community project. And I think the nice thing about that is now, like when I go and pick my kids up from school, I'm no longer just another dad. I'm I'm Mike the hockey guy. So it's very much a case where both kids and parents will be coming up to me saying, "Oh, hey, Mike, how are you going?" When's the next hockey session or great, great training last week? So it's very much become, yeah, in terms of a community project, I'm far more sort of important, if you like, than if I was just another guy walking down the street. And I think that's been something which has been kind of exciting and very much enlightening for me is that this whole process isn't just about being financially free, so, so to speak, but it's what you do with your time. And, you know, I, I, even cutting down to part time, it wasn't a case where I was just going to sit around and watch daytime television. It was very much a case of, right, I'm not so tired now. I've got more time on my hands. I'm not feeling this time time pressure to be somewhere. What do I do with that time? And that's really been a, a discovery process, which has been uh, been quite quite unique and quite nice. I find it quite awesome how you managed to replace, well, effectively go from full-time freelance work to part-time 
and replace it by activities that I mean still generate money, but at the same time, you know, are more rewarding, more focused to work with this community, um, and hopefully also give you more joy than just solely building websites. I hope that also still gives you joy. <laughs> but Albert, that's been the ironic thing. I mean, when I, when I was working eight hours a day, I was miserable. I, I got to a stage where I, where I did no longer liked being a web developer. But when I cut down to part time, suddenly my joy for it has come back again because I'm not, you know, it's, it's not just the same day every day. So. From that point of view, it's been quite enlightening. I, yeah, I no longer, I used to feel like I needed a holiday every three months. Now I could go years without a holiday because I just don't have that, that feeling that I used to have burnout. You've got a lifestyle that supports being relaxed and actually working from there. So Michael, what I quite like is, you know, your setup, the approach, but what I'm wondering about in terms of like reaching phi, uh, also to throw some numbers again in there, do you have a target number of savings rates, kind of like an idea how long it will take you to get there? Yeah, so I'm, it's, quite, it's interesting you mentioned that. So the reason that I invest in the asset classes that I do is, you know, I, I obviously read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like, like many uh, in the FI community have. And one of the things that he touched on was uh, having investments that produce cash flow. So I've largely focused on that side. And that's why I've got such a small amount in equities, because, uh, yeah, the, the dividend returns don't always, aren't always as high as you can get in some other asset classes, such as peer-to-peer lending. So I've very much focused on that, and it's the ability for my portfolio to produce that passive monthly income, which has been a key to to what drives me on. Uh, so realistically, I mean, I'm putting away about forty thousand a year. I would love to get to a pot of two hundred thousand that would give me a passive income of around two thousand a month before tax, uh, which would be nice to have. I'm a little bit like yourself, Alva. I don't see my uh, my journey as being a case where I stop working. Uh, I've actually for the last two months been running an experiment where I do uh, a little bit of that mini retirement that, that uh, you guys talk about on the show. So I've effectively set myself up to to work as if I was retired, or at least what I call semi-retired. And it's been great. It's been working a couple of hours a day. It's been putting work second, so my lifestyle first. So if my wife says, look, do you want to do this today? We just go and do it. We don't even think about it. Uh, if the kids want to go and play or go down to the playground, we just go down. Because we live in Ireland, obviously, the weather's fairly miserable most, most of the year. So if it's been a sunny day, it's been a no-brainer. I'm not working today. So very much put my lifestyle around that. Lifestyle first, work second. And that's been an amazing experiment. So for me, that's what retirement would largely look, largely look like. It's that work optional theory. And so it's very much, very much that thought pattern, I guess. Awesome. I like the approach on it. And definitely, you know, it's kind of like, okay... Say you reach 200k, you get 10% return on your investments or whatever, get to two grand, 1600 or something in between cash flow on a monthly basis. And, you know, maybe take more risk while doing that, but focus on the more highly leveraged or more lucrative uh, businesses, you know, like your startups um, that might take like an initial investment more work, but on the long run can generate a lot of cash. Like the approach, but I mean, don't you find it a little bit risky, you know, say in a couple of years you reach this 200k level or whatever, you know, the cash flow level you need to support yourself and you know, hey, I could technically always go back to web development, but like, you know, say you would solely have to rely on a portfolio like for cash flow purposes, wouldn't you like scale down a little bit and go more like towards bonds or like less riskier assets? Yeah, I probably wouldn't go to bonds. I would certainly look to put more in equities in the long run, uh, particularly if there's a, a, a crash or something like that where it becomes you know, that much more affordable to, to be buying into it. Uh, look, it's hard to say, Albert. Do you, do you know what I mean? I think one of the biggest things with, with, with the FIRE community, and I, I felt this last year, when I went from full-time work to part-time, 
I expected this kind of, I, I was in my head, I was thinking, oh, there's going to be some sort of big party for me. You know, I'm going to throw a party and celebrate the fact that I'm doing this. But life goes on. Do you know what I mean? And you, know, you kind of put yourself into this big goal. You've got this big five goal and you, you hit it and you think, oh, everything's going to change. Nothing really changes. You know, life goes on. Like people don't, like, like people I know are aware that I work part time. They're not throwing, you know, they're, they're not giving me high fives. Life just goes on. You know, they've got their own thing. I've got my own thing. So I think in many ways, I look at it like a journey. And for me, it's about as much enjoying the now. For me, the, the financial independence movement is about setting your lifestyle up now more so than necessarily worrying about the end goal. I'll give you an example. I mean, even in my mini, mini retirement for the last two months, I've started missing work, right? I've started going, gosh, I wouldn't mind sitting, sitting at my desk for another hour and doing a little bit more work. And so you don't know what exactly your, your lifestyle is going to be. And I think if you look at the tr- traditional retirement sense of getting to 65, going from full-time work to nothing, that's something that really scared me. I've always seen it as a slow transition into retirement and just allowing myself to do what I want. And at the moment, I've got three young kids, so spending time with my kids is very important. But at the same time, for anybody that's got kids, having that escape and being able to go down to an office and do a little bit of work also feels great sometimes, right? Sometimes you just need to get away, for, step away for a couple of hours. So it's very much a case of, I've set myself up a lifestyle that I get to choose. And the investments that I have, yeah, okay, so they're, they're not always a traditional investment, so to speak. I don't see myself as being able to put myself in a position where I can get to that million uh, euro portfolio so, uh, necessarily. And the other big challenge that we have living in Ireland is we're taxed everywhere we turn. So a lot of my investments are tax efficient in an Irish, in an Irish sense. And I'll give you an example, even buying into something like the Vanguard ETF, right, which is actually an Irish, um, an Irish product, that's taxed at 41%. And then every eight years, you've got to pay tax on the unrealized gains. Wait, help me out. So when you say 41%, are we talking purchase price or are we talking when you sell? Like when how- you sell. So, so when you sell that, any profits on that is taxed at 41%. But then even if you hold it for a period of eight years or more, for every eighth anniversary, every eighth year anniversary, that's in, you've got to pay tax on your unrealized gains at 41%. So let's, let's say, for example, that you had bought the S&P 500 in 2008, right? For, let's say, let's say 10 grand, and that's now tripled to 30 grand eight years later. You would have effectively need to pay 41% tax on the 20 grand profit, even though you haven't actually sold the asset. So in many ways, it's crippling. You're kind of forced to go through the pension route, really, if you're going to save equities in Ireland and, and buy equities in Ireland. That's nuts because if you take inflation into account and the cost in yeah. your own time, you know, we're talking about, I mean, on the top of, we're talking about a couple percent return then versus the seven, well, not seven, like, you know, the 10, 12 that's actually made on average over the last year since 08. That's, wow. That's like in comparison to. <laughs> it's, it's hard work. It is, it's very hard. And, you know, there's a lot of misjustices in the tax system in Ireland. I mean, you've got this 12.5% corporate tax that you often hear about internationally. But you're forgetting about the fact that, you know, you've got personal tax rates that really kick in at around 40,000 euros. Once your salary gets to that, half of your, half of your money is then going to the tax man. You've got a tax here called the universal service charge, which they specifically say isn't an income tax, but it really is. It's an, another, there's kind of two income taxes and then a social insurance tax that you pay on top of that. So 
it is fairly brutal, and uh, I think a lot of people get caught up into it. And I think as a result in Ireland, I mean, the, the people in Ireland are extremely welcoming and happy people, and from that point of view, it's wonderful. But you don't get great wealth diversification in Ireland because you're in a situation where it's very hard to get ahead financially when you're paying half your money to the taxman after a very small amount of, uh, of salary. And is it for a normal Irish person, you know, let's say I moved to Ireland right now, get myself a job in Dublin, 35, 40k or whatever. I, not, I don't know what the average salary in Ireland is, but probably something like 35k, something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm taxed at, I mean, if we say a top, a top rate of 50%, what will the effective rate be after all deductions? 30, 35? Yeah, around that, I'd say. It would depend. Obviously, the more you earn, the, the higher that gets in terms of um, the actual effective rate. But you're typically, if you were if you were unmarried and you were yeah and you were with no kids, you're going to be taxed once you hit thirty four thousand at fifty percent, right? So fairly brutal. You're talking average salary before half it's going to the tax man. Okay, gotcha. Um, so given that, then we're talking after uh, after taxes, salary of what is it, eighteen, eighteen, fifteen uh, after taxes, roughly? Yeah, I think you'd be looking at thirty percent gone. So you know, based on that, something like. And what I'm curious about, you know, say I've got that kind of salary. In Ireland, you know, and I know Ireland can be pretty expensive if it comes to rent and kind of like living costs. I mean, health insurance, is that free in Ireland or it's included in your salary? Yeah, you've, you've, you've opened a can of worms now, Alva. So oh, let's go for it. <laughs> so we, we, don't, we don't have NHS or anything like that. Unfortunately for Ireland, and it's a real shame on this country, and, and I'm sure that most people would agree with me, that the healthcare here is, is well below par. Uh, it's a major concern for me and my family long term. Um, it really is. It really is terrible. I mean, you've got a situation where you've got a massive waiting list. You've got people in trolleys in in corridors. So we have had to take out private health insurance because there's there's no guarantee um, just how long you'll be waiting. Uh, I've heard stories about people waiting for a physio appointment and they get a letter nine years later saying, "Do you still want this appointment?" And obviously, the injury is well and truly uh, cured by then. So it's something which even during the, what they call the Celtic Tiger, which was a good years in Ireland, they weren't able to fix. It's, it's mainly a management issue. It's bureaucracy and politics that, that cause the problems. They pump a lot of money into the healthcare system, but it really, it, really isn't, it really isn't good. On top of that, we now have a housing crisis in Ireland. You know, there's, there's a lot of homeless, homelessness problems. Uh, and you compare that to even when we bought our house back in 2013, we actually bought our house off the government. Our house was a new build at the time. We, when we bought it, it was actually a concrete shell, but it had been, uh, it had been a, a sort of a ghost estate, if, as they called them, where the builder had started, the, uh, the Great Recession hit, and obviously the builder went bankrupt. The bank got stuck with the, um, with the debt. And of course, because the government had guaranteed the bank's, uh, the bank's losses, the government got stuck with it. So you had a case where back in 2013, they were giving houses away effectively. We, we paid uh, just over 100000 for our house at the time. Whereas now you've got a situation where you've got a housing bubble again, uh, you've got people queuing for houses, uh, and you've got a massive housing shortage. So it's very much chalk and cheese, and it's it's kind of I guess ongoing problems. But they, they would be the big the big two major issues in Ireland is is certainly the health and the housing crisis. Gotcha. So I mean that just means I as you know say I moved to Ireland or an average Irish person will pay a ton in rent, a ton in taxes. Um, most likely, if I have any health issues, take out uh, private health insurance or private pay or wait five years until I can go to the physio. Yes. So if you combine all those, like for an average person, like, you know, can you even save realistic amounts like, you know, 1500 to 2000 a month, which obviously is more than your entire salary? Like, you know, re- 
save any realistic levels to get to Phi? Not through a job, I don't think. Not at least in the Irish context. And uh, so I actually, a couple of months ago, I started a, a blog on this sort of stuff because I was curious to reach out to see other people that were, were doing the same, what their thoughts were. And, you know, from talking to people, we, we largely came to the conclusion that the only way to, to fire in Ireland is to have a corp- your own corporation so that you can at least be tax efficient. And that by trying to, to become financially independent on an after-tax um, salary or a job is, is next to impossible because uh, the government just takes too much of, uh, they, they, they take too much out before you actually get, get the money. Hearing that, I, you know, I feel really like happy and that I can actually well, that I live right now in the UK, like it's the completely opposite situation in terms of like taxation. I mean, we totally get screwed over for over rent as well. And I mean, to be fair, like my rent at um, 800 a month uh, split by two, 400 per person is extremely cheap for a city like Edinburgh. But yes, on yes. average, it's, normally it's a lot higher. And if combining that, you know, we in the UK, we have the option, something called salary sacrifice. I can salary sacrifice whatever I want all the way down to minimum wage from my salary and pay zero taxes over that and put it in my pension and I'll take and uh, pay myself out uh, once I reach 55 or well, probably by the time uh, I will reach that age from what we're talking about 61 or a different age. But let's leave that out of the discussion, that option and having a ton of different vehicles where I can save in tax advantage or the government is supporting it. I found it an interesting kind of like change. I mean, we're both quite close to each other. And yes. yeah, and I guess, you know, and in terms of healthcare, the NHS, it doesn't sound like on the same levels as Ireland, but it definitely has the same kind of like waiting uh, time problem and having to wait nine months to go to the physiotherapy, which effectively made me go private with everything as well. Because if I have an issue, I'm not going to wait nine months or three months even. I want to go to a doctor now, and if I have to pay for it to fix my health, so be it. It's 100%. too important to wait. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like your health is actually number one, and I say this to my wife all the time, and uh, because this is one of the things with, with, with FIRE, which I don't think is always talked about, is that it's really, really hard, right? Like, we find ourselves budgeting every single day, and but when it comes to healthcare, it doesn't matter what the cost is. You know, that's that's kind of my thing that I'm going to make sure that, that uh, you know, our body and mind is... Is, is in a good place. But yeah, I guess, you know, you, you're bang on, Alvaro. I mean, it's, it's very, it is very difficult. And we've found ourselves basically drawing down salary from the company at the least amount possible to be tax efficient and just finding a way to, to live off that, which is hard, which is very, very hard. So what we actually do is, is we do budget every day and I've got a spreadsheet to track all of my expenses. So I think the first thing you do when you, when you, when you want to try and be financially independent is just to buy, start tracking your expenses to get an idea of where you're at. And what we actually find that we do is we kind of have different categories of spending, if you like. And when our money comes in, we know how much money we have coming in each month. We then allocate that out into, into these different categories. So we know that our mortgage is going to be X per month. We know our, our grocery bill is going to be typically eight, 900 euros a month. We have car costs, bills, entertainment expenses, kids' expenses, you know, kids' clothing, kids' education expenses, a little bit for our holiday fund, um, obviously putting some into our investment fund. So we kind of allocate all our money out into these various categories. We record this on a spreadsheet. And then we just micromanage ourselves within those, within those categories. So we make sure that, right, our grocery, our grocery uh, allocation is 900 a month. Let's make sure that we stick within that. And some months, of course, we go into the minus. We call it going into the negatives. And one fund goes into the minuses and whatever. But we, just, we, we fix that the next month through the allocations. Um, so we've, we've found ourselves living very strictly like that. 
knowing that ultimately we're building this um, this big portfolio. And and my wife, she is Irish, and my wife wouldn't come from. I've, I've always come from the sort of business entrepreneur background. She comes from the more traditional background of go to school, get good grades, get a job. So in many ways, there's a lot of conversations where where we differ in the way that we think. Uh, I'll give you an example. My wife will say to my uh, to my oldest son, "Oh, when you're 15, why don't you uh, get a job in McDonald's? It'd be great for you to to kind of start from the bottom and work up the corporate ladder." She says, and of course, I'll wait for her to leave the room, and I say, "Son, why go and work in McDonald's? Why why start from the bottom of the ladder when you can own the ladder?" And so I'm very much of that mindset of, "Look, how about you come work for me? Or you're going to work for me for free, of course, but I'm going to teach you everything I know about the business world, in the hope that you you can go down that path if that's something that you want to do." I love the point you can own a letter. I I had myself muted a second earlier, but when you said, you know, you can actually own a letter, love it. And I mean, it makes sense. You got, you've got your own business. Being able to, you know, make your son part of it, also probably teach him a whole bunch of the way, build, you know, do nice things together as a son and father business. Hey, I found it pretty awesome. I mean, but at the same time, starting like simple and humble, I can also see the point on that, you know, having a basic physical job for couple of months, years, few hours a week, it doesn't hurt. It it makes you humble. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's, you know, you, you, I'm always worried about entitlement when it comes, I think everybody is when it comes to their kids. And, you know, you want to give them the, give them solid grounding uh, from that point of view. But I, I guess from our point of view, we'd like, yeah, our, our older son actually has uh, dyslexia. So in many ways, we know that he's, yeah, from a from an educational point of view, he's going to struggle a little bit, but we're very much we we try and give him a more rounded ed- education. Uh, I'm very much trying to focus on giving him that ability to be a leader and to be a manager of people, and he already is, which is amazing to see. So part of the hockey business that I ran, I, the school his school allowed me to come and coach, and traditionally hockey in Ireland is a girls' sport, right? So it's it's actually the biggest girls' sport outside of the GAA but it's very hard to get to get boys involved. And the first training session, he brought down 12 boys from his class. And, you know, I kind of, I saw it in him for the first time that, that he had that leadership ability. And what he'd actually told them, he said, oh, come and play hockey. He said, it's like hurling, but you don't have to wear the helmet. And for the kids, wearing the helmet's the biggest problem in hurling. So when they heard that they didn't have to wear the helmet, down they came. And of course, after a training session or two, they got into the hockey and so now I've got you know, sort of sort of twelve kids, twelve boys down there, and about six girls, which is amazing. So uh, it's little things like that for me that are the big wins for, for for what you do with your kids and and how you try to 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 bring them up. And I think like obviously financial education is is a massive thing that I'm trying to give them because schools aren't teaching this stuff, right? And I've talked to principals principals about it, and they kind of say, "Oh yeah, we should probably be teaching this." Um, but of course, it doesn't come up. So, you know, me trying to pass that on to my kids, if anything, that would be, if, if I could give them anything, it would be that, you know, to, to, to see the traps that so many of us fall for, for, you know, for seeing this sort of debt cycle that we get ourselves into, this work-spend um, cycle system that we find ourselves getting into, uh, you know, to, to escape from that in, at an early age. And I mean, e- even yourself, Alva, at 26, geez, if I wish I'd only known that at 26, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm 35 now. So you've got nine years <laughs> ahead of me in terms of, in terms of the run. So yeah, it, it's, yeah, I guess for me, that's, that's a big thing is passing that knowledge on as much as I can. Two questions I got earlier, you were mentioning micromanagement of your budget. Are you guys like truly sitting down every week and like going over your expenses and tracking them like an Excel spreadsheet? Oh, I've spent this, this, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's across, that's across multiple credit cards, multiple accounts. Yeah. Literally every transaction we, we track and like it, it leads to, it leads to some, I'll call it interesting discussions, Alva, uh, with, with the wife. And I think, it, you know, so many times we need to motivate ourselves 
to have that end goal in mind of, look, we know what we're doing. We're, we're getting richer every month, so to speak, even though we're struggling and living like paupers. I think the big thing, the big thing for us is we don't value possessions that much. I think the, the big thing for me is from the financial, from the fire movement is the time freedom. Time is my number one thing that I want. And that's why the decision to cut down to part-time was so important because it allowed us, it allowed us to see directly what this meant. Uh, we used to have a habit of going every Saturday to the shops. We'd, we used to call it shopping traffic. There'd be this kind of rush hour of Irish people going to the shops. I think with the weather in Ireland, there's not a huge amount to do on the weekends. So people tend to find themselves going shopping. And we would just, we, we would almost spend the money that I'd work from Thursday and Friday just on the shopping on Saturday. It was, it was this horrible cycle. And so I kind of sat down with my wife one day and I said, look, would we not break away from this? And I kind of, I'd been tracking the expenses. And it was at that point I said, look, if we actually reduced our expenses here by 20%, I don't think we'd be any less happier for it. And I could cut down my working hours because I could draw less money out of the company, which would mean I'd be paying less tax anyway. And so it was very much a case where we started focusing on the happiness of the purchases that we had. And I always, I often say to my wife, my, my wife will often say, oh, we can't afford that. And I'll often say, no, 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 hang on a second. We can afford that. We're just not prioritizing that. And I think money in, in, in many cases is about priority. We all have money coming in each month. It's about how you decide to spend that. And so, for example, one of the things we do is we have what we call a luxuries list, right? And it's a list of items, a list of nice to haves, so to speak. But we prioritize that each and every month. And so when it comes to actually buying a luxury item, we say, okay, but do we want this ahead of that? And so it's very much a, a mindset of, of how you actually spend your money. Um, but yeah, it's very much a big thing of tracking it. And I would be updating that budget every sort of three to four days uh, and just making sure that we, we keep everything on track. Two questions. What is the thing you actually do spend money on to treat yourself in terms of like enjoyment and you don't like truly think about um, the costs? And uh, second, like how much, because we've said every week, but is this like, I get the philosophy, but are you totally like spending like an hour a week on this? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm geared up now where I can put the transaction in a spreadsheet in sort of 10, 15 minutes. Um, but I enjoy it. I, I, I feel like for me now, and you might relate to this a little bit, Elva, is I need to feel in control of where my money's at. And once it's in the spreadsheet, and, and I know, I know uh, the mad scientist talks about this as well, he gets so caught up in the spreadsheet. And you do, uh, you do find you, you, that that can happen. But once it's in the, spread, the spreadsheet and I know what I've got left for the month in terms of the allocations and what I can spend, then it allows us to kind of be in control. And I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the, the categories we have is what we call the date night fund. So we might allocate 50 or 100 euros in that each month. And what that does is it, it's kind of the fun fund, if you like. It allows us to actually spend that money without feeling guilty about spending it. Because I think one of the problems with, with trying to get to financially independent is you feel this, I've got to watch every cent, right? But by allocating the money, you put that into the fund and now it's got to be spent. It's there to be spent. That's okay to go and spend that money, have fun, knowing that you've still got your overall goal in track. Uh, so for me, like I find myself personally, I don't spend a huge amount of money when it comes to my own happiness. For me going to, I mean, I, I live in a, a beautiful part of Ireland uh, where the, the Shannon River runs through. It's a very small town. There's a lot of pubs. It's it's a very old town, uh, very picturesque. So for me, bringing my two-year-old for a walk, uh, a five-kilometer walk for an hour and back, that's that brings me happiness. I try and do that every day. Um, I, I enjoy playing golf. So I go and play golf you know, once or twice a week and I can, I can tee off for less than 15 euros. So that's not a huge expense to, to go and do. 
Um, but again, we allocate our own money personally, right? So we have our own money to spend on our, our fun things. And it's not taking away from our overall goal uh, because we've allocated that at the start of each month. Like that one. And I then kind of like want to draw the comparison to what I do myself. So, you know, the, the idea of, okay, hey, I want to be aware. I want to be in control. I want to see what's happening to my actual money. Makes sense to me. And like I used to do that like probably four or five years back, you know, track everything kind of like every, in my case, was every month go through expenses and spend them just, you know, go from there. But over the last years, I've kind of like grown into like a more organic approach where I know I will only spend seven, seven fifty ish, you know, a month, uh, pro, um, you know, by myself on expenses. And through that, I know I almost spend nothing. So why would I bother tracking it and spend yeah. time on that? It's, I literally spent It's, I think it's a difference between having three kids and not. Because it's just, <laughs> Probably. you know, kids, kids are a huge expense and they're trying to fleece you at every opportunity they get as well. So, yeah, if I, if I could spend only $800 a month in our family, that would be unbelievable. I mean, our, our expenses, uh, we, we're spending more like four grand a month in terms of just supporting our lifestyle. Um, I mean, our food bill alone is about $900 a month and that's on a good month. So, uh, you know, we've got three boys that are eating us out of house and home, so to speak. So, you know, from that point of view, it's difficult. The, the big thing that's made it easy for us is, is obviously having that low mortgage uh, has helped us hugely. And I think in an Irish context, if you know, to, ha to have high rent or, or a big mortgage would make it nearly impossible. So we've been very fortunate from that point of view. But yeah, it, it is. It's one of those things that, like I said, it is difficult. So one thing I'm well aware of, obviously, being in my mid-30s now, is that our expenses at the moment are probably the highest they're ever going to be in terms of they say your 30s is, is where you spend your most money. So in many ways, it's about riding out that storm and uh, and getting through to the 40s and the 50s where we know we're not going to need to be spending so much money uh, and we can we can look to kind of manage our expenses better then. Cool. What I also find extremely interesting, so, you know, as you said, you're nine years ahead of me, using you as a little bit of reflection, I also learn from it myself and actually ask you a question on that. You know, so I actually, I mean, me and my girlfriend, we definitely want to get kids. And I'm always thinking, how can I prepare myself best right now to when I reach that point in four years or whatever? to be ready and set up for it, um, to be able to actually either not work at all and be home or as you're doing yourself, work part-time um, or like, you know, have this kind of like life quality with kids and combine that because like right now I can never, ever emotionally know like how it actually is to have kids plan everything out. I can plan whatever I want, but honestly, I think I will either grossly underestimate it or just generally have no clue how it would feel and work out. So given that I kind of like, would like to like blend the bigger picture things and prepare the best way possible for that, if that makes any sense. Um, and because that's one thing I see with a lot of friends of mine who are like a few years ahead, like they're getting kids now and they're like generally they're working 40, 50 hours a week. And as you said, 30s are the most expensive periods um, of your life, have crazy high cost and kind of, they get stuck in a loop. They have to keep working to fund either daycare or get costs or, you know, their own life quality. And there's no way kind of getting out that if you don't kind of like plan for it in advance or have a really high income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I'm I'm going to answer this in two phases. The, the, <laughs> Go for it. The, the first thing is, Alva, you don't realize now how much time you have each day. You honestly, even if you're working full time, you don't realize just how much free time you have. And, and that's the one thing when you have kids, and, and I hope you look, listen back when you do have kids on this episode and this advice right now, because you probably won't take it fully in. But for anybody out there that doesn't have kids yet, you don't realize just how much free time you have. Uh, for me now with kids, I mean, they are my number one priority. 
and they consume more of my time than any, anything else. And so for my ability to, to have that extra time to build my side hustles is extremely limited because I basically have to wait for everybody's in bed and come down at 10 o'clock at night and start, start doing some work or whatever. So that's the first thing is, is you really don't know how much time you have. So treat that as, as, as a blessing right now, because once you have kids, you're going to be wondering, the first thing I wonder when I have kids is what the heck did I used to do with my time? Uh, so the, that's the first thing. The, the second thing is you're never going to be prepared. You, you don't know. It's, it's, it's life changing. I, I, I see my life as my old life pre kids and then my new life post kids. Um, I'm now a better person for it. I'm far happier for it. I think a lot of the reason I don't need, I don't spend as much money is because I've got my kids there for my entertainment, right? They are they are my world, so to speak. So from that point of view, that's life changing. Yes, you're going to need more income. That's part of it. You will work that out as you go. You will honestly work that out as you go. I think the biggest thing for me is, and I see this through other friends, is you need to tell yourself: Do you want to be there for your kids, or do you want to keep keep working and put your kids in the crash? And I think a lot of people don't actually work up the numbers when it comes to putting your kids in the crash because you're paying the crash with after-tax uh, money. And so you're in a situation where are you actually much better off working 40 hours a week and then paying a crash? I'd say you're probably only better off maybe 100 or 200 euros a week. So I think for us, the big decision was we wanted to be at home with our kids and we wanted to, to work as little as possible. And so a lot of that, the reason for me going part-time was to be there for my kids um, you know, my, my third child now, I mean, I'm as much a primary care giver to him as my wife is. I mean, my, he actually calls me mama, which is kind of unusual, right? So it's, it's interesting. Whereas I feel like with my other, with my other two kids, because my wife was a primary carer, I was always kind of the part-time daddy almost, you know, you come home from work, you'd be tired, you'd see your kids for an hour before they go to bed and that'd be that. Uh, whereas this experience of my third child has been completely different. Uh, and it's been, from my own point of view, it's been a lot better experience. Nice one. And what also kind of intrigues me. So last night, me and my girlfriend had this discussion kind of like in the UK, how it works with childcare costs. So over here, um, besides some minor government benefits on childcare vouchers um, and a few other uh, things you can write off from your taxes, there's just literally no support. So you are almost on your own if it comes paying for most of the expenses and if you combine that with, you know, pretty limited maternity leave uh, and either, you know, wife uh, going back like almost straight away, getting working again or like not going at all and paying 600, 700 a month per kid for daycare with no subsidies. And as you mentioned, with after tax income, combining that, I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty shitty if i uh say and that's alva that's only one kid imagine when there's three of them right so that's that's a big decision and like in fairness to ireland and i, I kind of highlighted on some of the neg negatives before they are amazing when it comes to having kids i mean, ireland i think they have 25 percent of the population in ireland is under 18 it's the highest percentage in europe and uh, they they I, I know the uk has a, a child sort of benefit system uh, and ireland does as well but it's 140 euros per child per month so it's a lot higher. Um, you do have free childcare or limited free childcare. There is free medical for, for kids under six. So things like that certainly do help. But it's still, I mean, it's, 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 kids are still expensive. That's, that's part of it. But, you know, it's, it's a different thing. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't not have kids because of the expense. I think if you can afford it, you should have a kid. 
certainly <laughs> ideally have more than one. Like, yeah, but if but if we draw the comparison to Germany, where every kid gets two hundred euro per month per kid, so twenty four hundred a year. Yes. Um, my co-host Matthias, he has two kids. They're getting forty eight hundred a year. Just you know, as effectively, okay, you can spend it on whatever you want, um, on kid purpose or not, but just you know, that's almost five grand just. And that's not, you know, just to get started to help you for the kit cost. And um, combining that with, um, you know, subsidized um, healthcare, kindergarten, and tons of other initiatives. I mean, obviously there are downsides and Germany is a lot higher taxed in ways in compared to other countries. But again, from a kit perspective, I find it pretty amazing. And I mean, we can go later on to debates how kid-friendly countries, etc. But of course, when, yeah. I, when I think from a fire perspective, like, I want to, yeah, no, I, no, I do want to plan that, I think. I want to be aware of where, you know, okay, where would I like to live? I mean, that's number one priority. You know, yes. what's the best place, the best quality of life for me, future kids, girlfriends, you know, where are we the happiest? That's the most important thing of all in the beginning. And from there, you know, if two countries are equal and one just offers far better benefits, that's an easy choice for me. But at the same time, yeah, that's always a really hard emotional choice. And you will never know it until it actually happens and you get into the process and you become aware of everything before you can really truly fully make that choice. But trying to, um, I know what you said, you know, you kind of like figure it out along uh, the process, you know, either how to make the money or how to take care of everything. I agree, but I do want to take care of the bigger picture things. And I feel you know, either, you know, being semi-fi and being able to work part-time or planning which country has the best possible benefits, you know, or quality of life to raise kids or where can you buy cheap house outright and actually live there um, and not have crazy high rent. I think planning those bigger picture things um, can be useful if you think in terms of life phases, in terms of FI. Yeah, don't micromanage and overplan your life, but I do think there can be value gained through doing that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I think... Yeah, your ability, the house that you buy is the first thing that's going to make a massive difference, right? So, I mean, we, we've been very fortunate from that point of view to keep that mortgage cost down. Um, but as I said, I mean, kids, look, kids are expensive, but your expenses themselves will change. Yeah, your need for ent- entertainment expenses will be reduced significantly. Um, so from that point of view, there, there may not be a massive difference, at least particularly with only one child in the first couple of years. Um, you know, in, infant babies aren't aren't massively expensive. It's it's only once they start eating, eating like you do, that it starts to become a little bit more of a problem. Um, and then again, you know, needing to upgrade things. So we have a seven seater car um, because we can't, we wouldn't fit everybody in otherwise. So it's little things like that that um, that start to come in. But keep in mind, I mean, I'm eight years into parenting, right? So it's it's a long time, and it really is a, trans, a, a transition. And I promise you, Elva, the moment that that child is born. The fire thing will seem less important because the love for your child will, will seem that much more important. I honestly love the way you say that. Um, it's just, yeah, well done, man. It, in terms of how you've set up your life um, and arranged everything, uh, I found it a really inspiring story and also, you know, taking care of kids, wife, yourself like this and, you know, actually, you know, giving yourself the gift of living like this. I wish more people would be able to do it. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for me is is just letting people know that it's possible, right? And I, I think I, the, the reason that, that I've taken to your guys' podcast is because you talk a lot about the side hustle and, you know, your, your own sort of ability. And I think sometimes when you look at financial independence, they're, they're trying to get 25 times your expenses is a daunting, daunting task. 
And in many ways, I've looked at it and gone, right, that's that's all well and good, but how can I adapt my lifestyle now to at least give myself that feeling of financial independence, even though I may not be there yet? And that, that's why I see my, my freelancing now when it comes to web development. That's that's one of my side hustles. That, that's all it is. Like I can pick and choose my clients and pick and choose the projects I take. And so from that point of view, by taking that lifestyle and adapting that mindset, it's given me that kind of freedom or that, fe- that freedom feeling, I guess, if you like. Anyway, Michael, I think it's slowly time uh, to round up the episode, but I really think, um, well, definitely for me, but I also hope for the listeners, it offers kind of a lot of value, like us going through almost like the process, the phases, the experience of reaching phi, uh, well, get, trying to get there, the, the life struggles that come with it. And, you know, your comparisons of like, okay, how do you choose? Okay, where do I focus on in terms of work? The side hustles you started, you know, the actual experiences with your kids, how you budget, um, combining all those things, I honestly think they make for a fascinating story. Um, and as a, you know, whoever wants to learn more about, okay, I, you know, want to either live a better life or um, I want to know how to like, kind of like make these choices. I think your story, you know, obviously you can always copy certain things you've done and apply them to your own life, but it's mainly about the inspiration and the understanding you can build up through it that will hopefully allow me, myself, absolutely, but also listeners to like make better choices uh, for themselves. So yeah, anyway, thank you so much for that. And I would uh, kind of like to jump into the last three final questions of the episode. Sure. Because let's, you know, let's say people would uh, like to find more about you, uh, find your uh, website, podcast, everything. Can you tell us where can we uh, learn more about Michael? Yeah. So I've, I've started a podcast. It's two months old now. Uh, you can access it at playingwithfire.ie. Uh, it's on your normal podcast platforms as well. If you just uh, type in playing with fire, uh, and it's basically, it's largely me just, uh, just talking exactly what we've talked about today, Alva, uh, in kind of a, a podcast format. And it's just me giving my thoughts and, and telling you about my journey and my kind of day to day as well. Uh, I do interview people within the Irish context as well. So a little bit of it is, is, uh, about life in Ireland. But it's just it's just mainly about my story and my journey, and I've I've mainly done the podcast to have to have something to reflect back on, but also something to give to give to my kids when they get older as well. Nice one, and we'll definitely link to it in the show notes as well. Um, and I got the first three episodes lined up for myself to listen during my lunch break uh, later today, and on the downtime at work. So I'm looking forward uh, to get started. And then uh, the next question, um, what would be one resource that's not well known you would recommend others to check out? So this can be anything, you know, your best article of all times you've written yourself or like a book or a blog, like, you know, one thing you would people recommend, please check this out, you know, it will help you. Yeah. So um, Tony Robbins, I think he's largely underestimated in the FIRE community. So everybody will always talk about Robert Kiyosaki and look, he's great. I, I, I think the trouble with Robert sometimes is his views can be so extreme and he's so pro in terms of, um, you know, borrowing money to, to get ahead, which obviously he's done. I think Tony Robbins is quite good. Uh, he has a very simple approach where he basically says, pick your number, pick a number and stick with it. And that number is a number of, of money that you're going to keep away and invest each and every month. And he talks about having a freedom fund and so on. So I think the way that he kind of talks and, and describes things is quite good. And the other guy to check out, and this is, this is actually going to be an issue for you, Alpha, Conor McGregor, right? Conor McGregor, the Irish uh, UFC fighter. He had this ability in 2008, he predicted that he was going to be in the UFC and he was going to win two belts, right? Uh, he's had interviews before a fight where he's told you exactly the move that he's going to make to win. 
the round that he's going to win. He has this ability to vision and see his own future. And I think the power of that, that there's some real power in that, right? This sort of law of attractionness stuff. And he has that, and he has this gift to do that. And I think if you want to check out some of the stuff that he's got, some of the stuff on YouTube that he's done, where you see his old interviews and what he talks about and what becomes true, there's, there's real power in that for me. Nice one. The ability to forecast your own life would be handy to have for most of us. So um, last one of the episode, Dan. So what would be the number one actionable tip for somebody who is either, you know, already on the path to fire or get started? Like the one thing you would recommend them doing, you know, please do this. It will be the most powerful tool you have in your toolkit or in your belt, you know, to get to what's fine. Just track your expenses. Start tracking your expenses. Uh, that is for me the number one thing that everybody can start doing today. Right. There is, I think the, the, the problem with financial independence is it feels too far away or it feels too hard. There is nothing stopping you from starting to track your expenses today. And with that in mind, it will just allow you to, to start, add, uh, start reviewing the numbers and seeing where you can actually cut down. And I'm almost guaranteed that you could cut 20% of your spending out of your budget without having any impact on your happiness. It's just money being wasted that you probably don't realize it's being wasted at the moment. Awesome. Let's turn it into a challenge just for our listener. Find yourself 20% to cut. Write in uh, the comments on financial-independence.eu how you managed and maybe we can challenge Michael and see if it actually worked out. <laughs> anyway, Michael, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thank you very much for having me over. Really appreciate the opportunity. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project, to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe Podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe Podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>